title of this message is A Fighting Church. A Fighting Church. Not an infighting church. You definitely don't want an infighting church because it will become a non-existent church if there's infighting and biting and devouring each other. But God is looking to raise up a fighting church. It's been his plan all along. You know, it says that, that when Jesus comes on a white horse, who's he coming with? The singing grannies, the dancing grannies? No, he's coming with the armies of heaven. He's coming with soldiers. He's coming with those who are trained for battle. That's who he's coming with, and that's what the church is to be. Not a church militant where we're trying to take over all the political systems and thinking we're bringing heaven down to earth. No, but a church that fights for one another, fights for the kingdom, fights for, gets behind each other and fights for the one who's struggling, who's fallen in the battle. God is raising up the church of Jesus Christ to be a fighting church. Would you stand with me for the reading of the first four verses to honor the word of God? Numbers 32. We're going to read a little bit of passage here, a little bit of of ground here. It says, Now the children of Reuben and the children of Gad had a very great multitude of livestock. And when they saw the land of Jazer and the land of Gilead, that indeed the region was a place for livestock. The children of Gad and the children of Reuben came to speak to Moses, to Eliezer the priest, and to the leaders of the congregation, saying, I'm not going to name all these different lands, but it starts with Ataroth. It's basically verse 4 says, The country which the Lord defeated before the congregation of Israel is a land for livestock, and your servants have livestock. You may be seated. So these two, twi- these two tribes out of the 12 of Israel, Reuben and Gad, saw that the land that Israel had conquered on the east side of Jordan was a place of good pasture for their many livestock. It had grassy fields, it had uh, ponds, it had brooks and streams probably. It was ideal for a people who were herdsmen. And Reuben and Gad had a lot of sheep, they had a lot of livestock. And so they saw this land, and this land was previously occupied by Og, king of Bashan, and Sihon, king of the Amorites. But God had given his people victory over these kingdoms, which originally asked for permission to pass through their lands on the way to the promise. And they said, no, we're not going to let you peaceably pass through. And so they were destroyed by by the armies of Israel. And now the land was cleared, and now Reuben and Gad saw, this is a beautiful place. But they were on this side of Jordan. They hadn't crossed Jordan into the promised land. Verse 5 says, Therefore they said, This is Reuben and Gad to Moses. If we have found favor in your sight, let this land be given to us, to your servants, as a possession. Do not take us over Jordan. Reuben and Gad saw that not only was the land suitable for their flocks and their herds, but also a peaceful place for their families to settle in because the enemies had already been overcome. But this land was on the wrong side of the promise on the Egypt side of the promise. They wanted to stay and not be taken over the Jordan River. They said, please don't take us over the Jordan River. This plan made Moses very upset. Listen to what he says. Verse 6. And Moses said to the children of Gad and to the children of Reuben, shall your brethren or brothers go to war while you sit here? 
Thank you. Israel was ready to cross the Jordan and to inherit the promised land their fathers couldn't enter because they failed to believe God and walk forward in faith that he would give them the victory he had promised. Now a new generation stood poised to cross the Jordan and face the same giants that their fathers were afraid of and refused to fight. The promised land had giants and armies with chariots. They had fortified cities. And, they, and all these places, God said, I will be with you and I'll give you victory. But 40 years earlier, their fathers said, no, we're like grasshoppers. The people are too strong for us and we're so small in our own sight. Now two tribes seem to be turning back from the battle. It's 40 years later. The young generation is ready to enter the promised land. They're right on the brink of entering into Jordan, through the Jordan, and into the promised land. But two tribes seem to be turning back from the battle. Listen, it's in our nature once we find a comfortable place for us and our family to want to sit down in ease and to stop fighting. But that is not the kingdom plan. Look at verse 7. Now why will you discourage Moses speaking to these two tribes? Now why will you discourage the heart of the children of Israel from going over into the land which the Lord has given them? Two of the 12 tribes staying back from conquering the land would have discouraged the other 10. Verse 8. Thus your fathers did when I sent them away from Kadesh Barnea to see the land. He's going back 40 years earlier. For when they went up to the valley... Eskel, and saw the land, they discouraged the heart of the children of Israel so that they did not go into the land which the Lord had given them. Did you know it's possible to not go into the land the Lord has given you? It's possible to, to stop short of entering into what he says, I've given you. If you'll walk forward in me by faith, I will give you the victory. It's already won. Well, that whole generation of people had to wander in the wilderness and, and die over a period of 40 years. Verse, verse 10 says, So the Lord's anger was aroused on that day, and he swore an oath, saying, Surely none of the men who came up from Egypt from 20 years old and above shall see the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because they have not wholly followed me. Except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, and Joshua, the son of Nun, for they have wholly followed the Lord. What did Caleb and Joshua's fully following the Lord look like? It looked like a faith that didn't sit back or retreat, but that said, let's go up and fight right now. The Lord is with us and he will give us the victory. Verse 13 says, so the Lord's anger, this is Moses recounting, so the Lord's anger was aroused against Israel and he made them wander in the wilderness 40 years until all that generation that had done evil in the sight of the Lord was gone. And look, you have risen in your father's place, a brood of sinful men, to increase still more the fierce anger of the Lord against Israel. For if you turn away from following him, he will once again leave them in the wilderness and you will destroy all these people. Staying back in comfort and security while the brothers, while their brothers had to face battle without them was tantamount to turning away from following the Lord. 
Reuben and Gad refusing to get up and fight for their brothers would lead to destruction of the entire congregation. Moses said, God will do this again. Your fathers died in the wilderness. They wandered for 40 years. God will do it again if you turn back from following him. Don't do this thing. Verse 16, there's a transition. The men have a, have a, a change of mind. Originally, they said, they said, leave us here. Don't take us on to Jordan, through the Jordan. Leave us here. This is a suitable place for us. And after Moses speaks to them, they have a change of heart. Friend, that's how it should be when you hear the word of God, when the spirit of God deals with you. It should change your heart. If if your thinking is wrong, if your mind is wrong, if your theology is wrong, when the word of God comes to you, it should change your thinking. It should change your heart. That's what it did with them. They had a transition here. Listen to what they say. Verse 16, then they came near to him or to Moses and said, we will build sheepfolds here for our livestock and cities for our little ones, but we ourselves will be armed ready to go before the children of Israel until we have brought them to their place and our little ones will dwell in the fortified cities because of the inhabitants of the land. Praise God. This is repentance. This is a change of thinking. They said, look, the Sihon and Og are gone. The enemies are gone. They've left fortified cities, walled fortresses. We'll leave our families, our wives, and our children in those places for their safety. We'll build some pens for our sheep and, some, and build up the city so that they can be there and they can be safe. But we're going to go with you in the battle. We're going to go with you. We're going to go armed with you until they are brought into their place, it says in verse 17. Verse 18, we will not return to our homes until every one of the children of Israel has received his inheritance. Praise God. For we will not inherit with them on the other side of the Jordan and beyond because our inheritance has fallen to us on this eastern side of the Jordan. Then Moses said to them, if you do this thing, if you arm yourselves before the Lord for the war, And all your armed men cross over the Jordan before the Lord until he has driven out his enemies from before him. And the land is subdued before the Lord. Then afterward, you may return and be blameless before the Lord and before Israel. And this land shall be your possession before the Lord. Moses said, okay, I'll agree to this if you will do what you said. If you will go before your brothers and fight for them until they have won their inheritance and all the enemies of the Lord are driven out, then you can go back to this place on the east side of the Jordan and you'll be blameless before God. But not until then. Listen to what he says in verse 23. But if you do not do so, listen, it's one thing to hear the word of God, agree with it in church, say amen to it, But if you fail to do it, it's not repentance. Listen to what he says. But if you do not do so, then take note, you have sinned against the Lord. Failing to fight for your brothers and sisters, Moses said you're sinning against the Lord. And he says, and be sure your sin will find you out. It will expose you. This is not a sin God's going to wink at. This is not something God's going to say, oh, that, no big deal. He's going to say, this is deadly serious. You must fight for your brothers and your sisters. Hallelujah. 
for Reuben and Gad to sit back in safety and comfort while their brethren went to war with the Lord's enemies would be a sin that God would not overlook. We live in a church age of individualism. We want the blessings and victory of God for ourselves and and for our family, our loved ones. Few have the mind of Christ to fight for their brethren until they enter into the victory of Christ. We want to settle on the east side of Jordan where it's peaceful and we don't have to see war anymore. We've already had a battle with Sihon and Og. The Western church has developed and catered to a selfish and ungodly mindset of what church can do for you while you sit comfortably and your brothers are at war. While you sit comfortably in in the church, you say, well, God did this for me 20 years ago. And the person sitting next to you is in the battle of their life. Listen to what Jesus said in John 15, 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Anyone who views Jesus as a weak, effeminate Savior is blind to the incomparable display of the most courageous warrior laying down his life in love for his friends. Friends, we are to love each other with this costly, pain-bearing, and self-forgetting love. We are to be willing to die for each other. Not to seek our own victory from Jesus and then sit in our own comfortable fortress with our wives and our children while our fellow believers are still battling for victory. Friends, people around you are falling in the battle. Some can barely hold on. They need you and I to fight alongside them, to have their back. Are we even aware of the battles around us when we come into the house of God? Do we even want to know? Paul said this about his son Timothy in Philippians 2.20. He said, I have no one else like him who will genuinely, genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus' interest is for all of his sheep, all all the children of God and those that will be born again. His interest is for all of us. And Timothy had learned that heart in, in Jesus, sitting at the feet of Jesus and learning under Paul. He had learned that heart that it's not all about me. It's not just about my comforts and my healing and my victory. God does want to do that. He wants to bless us. He wants to heal us. But friend, it's so that we can go on and help others. Strengthen others. Fight for others. Help them get their victory in Jesus Christ. Nehemiah, I want to just transition to another story in the Bible about Nehemiah. And you know this story. And I just want to ask you a question here. Is, is, do you want to serve God and fight in his, bat, in, in his army with the condition of your convenience? Because I tell you what, that's how our hearts are naturally. It really is. I, I don't want to be inconvenienced. I don't want to be woken up in the middle of the night with a phone call from someone who needs prayer. I don't, honestly don't. But the heart of Jesus says, will you serve me at the death of your convenience? At the cross of your convenience and your comfort and your pleasure, will you serve me? At my cost. 
Friend, I'm not saying I'm totally there. I'm not. I'm not. I'm in process. But this is the heart of Jesus. This is the heart of Jesus. Death to our idol of convenience and comfort and saying, it's all about me. No, it's not. Christ showed no greater love than to lay down his life for his friends. He said, do the same thing. Love each other that way. Love each other that way by my spirit, by my strength. Nehemiah 3.5. Listen, this verse says that all, I'm just going to tell you a little bit of background. All these people, it names them in Nehemiah chapter 3, and it says all these different tribes and people and families. It, it talks about the work they were doing on the wall that was surrounding Jerusalem. They were working on building up this wall that had crumbled into ruins and was rubble, and they were working on building it up together. And it talks about all these different families and who worked on what and what area they worked on and who hung the doors and, and, and built the doors and built this part of the wall. It's, it's beautiful. But then it comes to this one verse. In verse 5, and it says, Next to them the Tekuites made repairs, but their nobles did not put their shoulders, the, the literal is their necks, to the work of the Lord. Uh, in another version, ESV says, and next to them the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles would not stoop to serve the Lord. They wouldn't get down and do the dirty work. They wouldn't mix the mortar and, and plaster the holes in the wall. They, 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 it, was, it was below them. It was, it was beneath them to stoop and to put weight on their neck and, and to carry a load. It was below them. And so they watched as others worked, as others labored, as others carried weapons for war and defense, and they watched, and they said, well, that, I'm, just, that's not, I'm not like that. I, that's not my gift. Listen, I want to ask you this. Are you willing to put your neck into the work of the Lord? Are you willing to serve others at the expense and the cost of your comfort and your convenience and your suffering? It says these were not. They were too noble. Nehemiah 4, 6 says this. Nehemiah said, so we built the wall and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height for the people had a mind to work. Praise God. Well, maybe the, the nobles of the Tekoites didn't, didn't, it was below them to stoop and to work and to labor. But it says the majority of them had a mind to work. And so they built up the wall to halfway of its height. Praise God. Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were being closed, that they became very angry. Listen, whenever a work of God is being built up, whether in an individual or in a church, the enemy sees it and he gets very angry that the work of God is progressing. He's going to attack. Look, he's going to attack TCIW. He's going to attack Oxano Church. He is going to attack. Verse 8 says, they all, the enemies, conspired together to come and to attack Jerusalem and to create confusion. Another thing that confusion does is, is disunity. Things are here and there, and it's just everything is scattered. They come to create confusion. Verse 9, nevertheless, we made our prayer to God. How do I fight, Aaron? How do I work? They made their prayer to God. A lot of the work, a lot of the fighting that you and I will do is on our knees for other people. It's in developing a prayer life to believe God for other people. When you can't change their situation, you can't heal their marriage, you've counseled them to a point where it's like, that's all I can do is speak the truth God's given me. 
but I'm going to pray. When the enemy comes in with his anger to attack and to bring confusion, I'm going to pray. They made their prayer to God. And because of them, they set a watch against them day and night. Then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing. And there's so much rubbish that we're not able to build the wall. Do you know one of the the things that, that I teach my guys in construction or have taught them as they're a learning carpenter in the trades? One of the things I teach them is, hey, man, when you have exhausted what you know to do and you don't know the next step to take, grab a broom. There is always cleanup to do on a job site. Amen. Can I say, Caleb, Evan, you can say amen to that. Pick up the schniblets, right? You know, pick up, pick up the little pieces of, of, of construction debris. Clear the way because guess what? When your job site is full of two by, cuts, pieces of two by four and studs and, and, and everything is scattered, guess what? It's hard to get anything done. My friend, if you are a soldier in the, in the body of Christ and you are a servant of Jesus Christ, you got to be willing to do the lowest thing. You gotta be willing to do some demolition. You gotta be willing to do some cleanup. You gotta be willing to clean some toilets if that's what's asked of you. There was so much rubbish they couldn't build the wall. And the adversary said, verse 11, they will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. You know, just your simple obedience in, in doing what God tells you to do, maybe cleaning the church, maybe helping out in some menial way, you are creating a place of order so the enemy can't come in and create confusion and take people out? Praise God. Verse 13. Therefore I position men behind the lower parts of the wall and at the openings, well, openings being the vulnerable places, and I set the people according to their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome. Fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. I love this verse. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome. You know what's going to help alleviate a lot of our fears? When we get a right perspective of God's awesomeness. When we realize how great and mighty and glorious he is, that he's in control, that he's sovereign, that our life is not out of control, but he's providentially in control. When we recognize his awesomeness, our fears begin to die. And he says, now fight for your brethren. Fight for your wives, for your children, for your houses. And it happened when the enemies heard that It was known to us what they came together to fight together, to stand together. And when it came to to happen that the enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had brought their plot or plan to nothing, then all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his own work. Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 17 says, those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction Maybe they had a trowel, and with the other hand, they held a weapon. We need to be building with one hand and ready to fight with the other. The fighting church needs to have skills to serve and build with one hand and skills to fight the enemy with the other. We need to take up the trowel, the towel to wash, the trowel to fill in the holes in the the wall, the broom to clean, 
Hands to just pick stuff up, get it out of the way, and the sword to fight. Every one of the builders, verse 18, had his sword girded at his side as he built. Listen, you need to know the word of God. If you're going to be a warrior in the kingdom of God, you need to know the word of God. You need to study it, read it, pray that God gets it into your spirit. That's the sword of the spirit. They had the sword girded at their side as he built, and the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. Then I said to the nobles, the rulers, and the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive or spread out, and we are separated far from one another on the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. Praise God. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally together. Rally together. Join together and fight for one another. Our God will fight for us. When, when you hear that call in the night, when you hear the Spirit tap you and say, I need you to pray, don't think it all depends on you. Nehemiah said, our God will fight for us. Praise God, the victory is in his hand. Praise the Lord. Amen. Psalm 110, verse 3. It says, your troops will be willing on the day of your battle. That's the NIV. Your troops or your people will be willing or volunteers in the day of battle. You know, God doesn't have a... Uh, uh, he doesn't have an inscription. He doesn't have it like they had it in Vietnam, Vietnam where it, 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 they ran out of volunteers and so they started the draft. God doesn't have a draft. God's not going to force you into service. He's asking, are you willing? Are you willing to step up, to step into the battle, to, to risk your own neck, so to speak? To put your neck in a place where you're willing to work and you're willing to be hurt and you're willing to suffer for others' sake as Jesus did for you. Your troops will be willing or volunteers on the day of battle. He's not going to make you. He's going to ask you. Arrayed in holy splendor, your young men will come to you like the dew from the morning's womb. 1 Samuel 10, 26. This is my final scripture. Second to last scripture. 1 Samuel 10, 26, ESV says this. This is when Saul was called and anointed to be king while his heart was yet humble and right with God. And Samuel had just anointed him. It says, Saul also went to his home at Gibeah and with him went men of valor whose hearts God had touched. Amen. Glory to God. Do you see that? With him went men of valor, courage, whose hearts God had touched. Will you let God touch your heart today? Will you let God touch you to say, I want to be in the battle. I don't want to leave my brother, my sister fighting on their own while I stay back in comfort. God wants to touch hearts today, to draw us out of this Americanized, Westernized Christianity that says it's all about what's in it for you. It's all about your comfort, your prosperity, your peace. It's time to, to crucify the, the caveat of inconvenience. It's time to crucify. It's time to say, this can no longer be my condition for serving or for fighting in the Lord's army. 2 Timothy 2.3. Paul said, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. 
Share in suffering. And in parentheses, I wrote with me. Paul was saying, share in this suffering with me. Some versions contain that. As a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Friend, if you want to follow Jesus and and have no discomfort, no inconvenience, no suffering, no cross, man, you may as well just pack it up and leave the church. You may as well, because Christ is not going to anoint that kind of thinking. He's called us into a life of sacrifice where he said, I will be with you in your struggle. And as you put your hands under that person to help lift them up, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to give them the victory that they need if you will be willing to fight in my army. Amen. A fighting church. God's called us to be a fighting church. I want to just open this altar for any that want to come forward and just pray. Call out to the Lord and ask him. Maybe you, maybe that's you. Maybe you are, you're partly into being a warrior for God. You, you do pray for other people. You do get under other people. You do say, God, give me your heart for them. But there's a party that says, God, only this far. I don't want it to inconvenience my life. I don't want it to disturb my comfort. Jesus is asking, can I touch your heart and cause you to join the battle? Can I touch your heart and cause you to join with my son, the captain of the hosts of the Lord? Can I touch your heart? Will you volunteer in the day of battle? Can I count on you? Can I call on you?